Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Amen. Good morning. Hey, I just want to say a special welcome to our young people of Crosspoint. You know, have you ever been in a situation, and it's typically like newer parents, where their uh, baby will make some sort of gargling, belching noise, and they're like, oh, did you, that was, I love you. Or like, they just said daddy, and you're thinking, that is not what happened. I just want to let you know that this morning, I'm just going to be hearing amens. So if your child is making a noise, I'm going to assume that they love what God is doing through his word. So that's where I am, and I would invite you to join me to that place. I have four boys of my own. At least a quarter of the noise in this room will be from my household. So here we are. Uh, But I'm, I'm the youth pastor here, and because I'm in that role, I think a lot about the young people in our church, in particular the the youth group. And if there are youth members in here right now, they're going to be so mad at me because I say this all the time. But the world in which we live is indoctrinating our children. We are at war with culture over the hearts and minds of our young people. And it's happening all around us, whether it be on TikTok or we went with the high schoolers yesterday to go rafting. And I heard one of the guides say, hey, be sure that you use gender neutral pronouns today as we're out on the water all the time these things are happening and our children are being taught and told what it is they are to believe. But the reality is, is we can oftentimes as adults think that the war is being waged for our young people when in reality it's being waged against all of us. We live in this same world and we are susceptible to these same things. And what the world wants to do is the world wants us to leave Jesus to reject him, or at least be Christians, quote unquote, who bear no fruit of the Christian life. That is the world in which we live today. And it's the world that has existed since Genesis chapter 3, and it's the very world that God calls his followers to bear much fruit in. And so as we go into John chapter 15, I want you to realize that the world, though it be hostile against us, This world is the world in which we are to be fruitful in the Christian life. So John chapter 15, if you would turn with me there. Uh, Actually, before we begin, a bit of biblical theology here. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and this is going to set up basically everything that we're going to talk about, but I'm not going to have a specific point later about it. It's really going to play off of what I'm about to say. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, there are seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. Each of those statements speak to the deity of Jesus Christ. That is that he is not only the man Jesus, but he is fully God as well. And so these I am statements are typically an explanation of his deity and what that means for the people that he has come for. In this particular instance, the vine is an analogy or a metaphor that is used for Israel throughout the Old Testament. In particular, Jeremiah chapter 2, Israel is referred to as a wild vine. They, They are being rebuked by God for living in a way that is not pleasing to the covenant which they have been called into. And so when Jesus here speaks to these people and says, I am the true vine, what he is saying is, I am the God 
I am the true Israel. I am the way in which the people of God will be gathered to God. And so that's what's happening as we enter into this passage here. So starting in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be, full, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from the Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you these things I command you so that you will love one another. Well, let's pray and then we will dig in. Oh, Father God, thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity to dig into your word. And even, Lord, as we think about the young people who have gathered with us today, we understand that the power unto salvation is through your Son, given by your word. And so, Lord, we expect, even though attention may be difficult, that your word is powerful and it never returns void to you. And our hope as we think about these young people is that you would use, even today, to bring about their faith in the days to come. And Lord, we pray that that would be even soon. But Father, our hope is not in eloquence. Our hope is not in good songs. Our hope is not in powerful prayers. Our hope is in your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have revealed in your word. So meet with us now and move mightily. We pray this to your glory. Amen. Okay, so the question is, what does it look like to live a fruitful Christian life in a fallen, hostile world? So what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching his disciples how they are to live as they await his return. So Brad told us last week that 13 through 16, John 13 through 16, is really the farewell discourse of Jesus, and he is speaking primarily to his disciples. And so the question we have to ask if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ is what is our life supposed to look like as we wait for him to return? And so I've summarized this in two points. The first is this, Jesus paints a picture of what a disciple's life is to look like. So Jesus uses this metaphor in verses 1 through 3 of a vine and branches and a vine dresser. 
And so what Jesus is doing here for his disciples is he is making it clear that their relationship with him will be evidenced by spiritually fruitful living. That their relationship, that this thing that they've been doing for the past two and a half, three years, will be evidenced by fruit that is evidence in the way they live their life. But at the outset, the thing that he really wants them to know is that this is God's work in them. This is a work of of the Trinity, really. You have the vine who holds the power of life. You have the vine dresser who cleans or prunes the branches that they might bear more fruit. But in John chapter 14, verse 26, you also have the helper, the one who will teach and lead and guide these disciples in the absence of Jesus. And so you have the three persons of the Godhead at work in God's children for the purpose of bringing about fruitful living. Take a break for just a moment and praise God for how good that is. That the origin of our fruit is not us. That means a fruitful life is not dependent on how good or how bad your kids will act during this service. And the reason I say that as a young parent is because sometimes I feel like my success in the Christian life is based on all of the external things in my life. Am I being as faithful as I possibly could be? Am I bearing as much fruit as I possibly could bear? Well, the reality is, is none of us can bear that pressure. And so Jesus makes it clear as he's about to leave these disciples behind with a helper, thank God, that your fruit is not going to be dependent upon the circumstances of your life. You're not going to be more fruitful if you're more capable. You're not going to be more fruitful if you have the right family. You're not going to be more fruitful if you can keep your family together. No, that's not where fruit comes from. It doesn't come from here. It comes from the vine through the sap of the Holy Spirit, and it is tended to by God the Father in your life. That's going to be really important as we make our way through this passage. But he does say that the disciples, they are responsible for something. What is the thing that they are responsible to do? Well, Jesus says, abide in me. So abide has the meaning of remain or stay. But what we really need to understand about abiding is it has this idea of drawing from. It's not just to choose Jesus' side against other things, though that is a part of the Christian life. As it relates to bearing fruit, what he means is that you will need to stay connected to me if you intend to live a fruitful life. Apart from me, you will not bear fruit as a Christian. And in fact, one of the things he says is if that is true of you and you bear no fruit, then you are not actually a Christian because you are not connected to the vine. And so here in just a matter of hours, Jesus, because Judas has gone out, he has gone to the authorities, he is going to lead them to Jesus. In a matter of hours, these disciples are going to have the opportunity to reject Jesus. Obviously, and I'm not going to say much about it because we'll talk about it in the coming weeks, but Peter is one of the greatest examples of that. Jesus says, abide in me, remain with me, stay with me. And almost immediately, 
Jesus, Peter, excuse me, chooses his side, his safety, over Jesus. I mean, we're talking about hours later. But here's the beauty of having a vine dresser. You see, we, we can look at this and we can think, man, this sounds really difficult. How, how am I supposed to abide? How am I supposed to remain in, in this world that I live in? There are so many pressures. There are so many things that I'm supposed to buy into. There are so many opportunities to look weird or odd to my coworkers. How, how am I supposed to do this thing? Well, the reality is you will fail and I will fail. But the beauty of it is that the vine dresser, his purpose is to prune or clean us that we would bear much fruit. Now, two ways that happens. One of the ways that, that Jesus tells us here is that we are cleaned or we are washed by the Word. Do, do you understand that even what we are doing right now is a part of the way that God files away the burrs in the Christian life? Right? Those things that just kind of keep catching, that keep tripping us up. Well, God uses His Word to grind away those things in our lives that we might look and say, okay, well, is, is, is my life as a believer, I profess faith in Jesus, is it conforming to what God has called of me? Well, well no, not in this area. What, what am I to do then? That's what God's Word does. It instructs us how we are to live. But the other way that is often much more associated with the act of pruning is through affliction. God will bring things into our life that may seem maybe, well, quite frankly, things we just really don't want into our lives. Trials, suffering. And, and we can look at those things and think, well, man, it just seems like God is not very kind. Like, it seems like He would protect me from these things, that He would love me, that He, if He was a good Father, would keep me from sticking my finger in the light socket instead of letting me do it. And yet, Jesus says, the purpose of the vine dresser is not to teach us lessons, but to help us bear more fruit. You see, we're not being punished most often when we are being afflicted. You can be afflicted when you are at your best because God sees that if I can just prune this thing a little bit, then even more fruit will come from this thing. This branch will bear so much fruit, but it needs this motivation to do so. This thing needs to be cut away. This fat, this excess needs to be trimmed. But oftentimes we just don't want that in our life. But what Jesus says is that if you are a branch and you are part of the true vine, then that is the life that you have been called to. But the temptation we face in the flesh is to make excuses for our lack of fruit. It's, it's much easier to say, well, you know, I've got these few things going on. But, 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 I mean, the Bible, it does say that I'm a sinner. The Bible says that I will never be perfect. And so, I mean, there are just some areas in my life that are just going to be like this. It's just who I am, right? It's, it's, it's a part of my horoscope or it's a part of my Enneagram or whatever. It's just, it's just that little nagging thing I'm always going to have, right? The Bible even says so. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory. That's what I'm doing, 
right? That's just, that's just the area in which I do that thing. Now, all of those things can be true. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. That's true. That's biblical. But that reality doesn't erase the fact that Jesus says God is pleased by much fruit. What, what are we to do? Think about that for just a moment. What are we to do with that? I mean, think about your life right now. And I'm not trying to guilt anyone or cause you to be depressed or anxious, but, but think about it just for a moment realistically. Think about being one of the original disciples and hearing this, this reality that God is pleased by you bearing much fruit, like, like a lot of fruit. That's, that's something that pleases God. Well, look at verses 8 through 10 in chapter 15, and we, we'll, we'll kind of understand what he's saying here. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Again, bearing fruit is an evidence of being in relationship with Jesus. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. So Jesus is saying to abide, to remain, to stay, to draw from, is to keep the commandments that I have given you. And so there is this direct correlation between abiding and obeying. But here's the beauty. What Jesus is saying is you will do that or you are capable of following that command I have given you because this is an effect caused in you by my love. My work for you on the cross, what I'm about to do, my laying down of my life, this will be the power and the lifeblood of you being able to obey the command I have just given you. That is, my love for you and in you will compel you to do the very thing I'm asking you to do. Right? It's like Newton's first law of motion. An object at rest stays at rest until it is acted upon. And then it will stay in motion as it's acted upon. Well, you and I were completely inert. We didn't do anything. And what Jesus is saying is, I know that about you. I know that you are not capable of doing this on your own, and I would never call you to do something that I don't think you're capable of. And so a part of what I will do for you on the cross is enable you to live out the life that I have called you to and thereby bear much fruit. Right? This is what God has done for us in Christ. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, I was mowing my yard and I was coming around this tree. We'd lived there for two years and there were just these like little things on the ground and I'm like, that's so strange. I have never seen those before. I know nothing about trees, really. And to be honest with you, I like bananas and fruity pebbles. So I'm not really a fruit guy either. I know. Do whatever you want to do. Kids, you don't have to eat fruit. I'm just joking. <laughs> Listen to your parents. But I don't. I don't like fruit that much. And so I had no idea what I was dealing with. But come to find out, we have a plum tree in our backyard 
And the squirrels and the birds like it so much that as soon as it starts bearing fruit, they, they eat it. And so I had never seen it. And so I never knew, and I was never able to Google what this particular tree was because I had no idea it was a fruit tree. Now, here's a question for all the kids because the adults will never get this. Do you know how I knew that it was a plum tree? Someone just said how. Because I saw the plums for the first time. I saw the fruits. And I was able to realize that this is a plum tree because it bears plums. You see, what Jesus is doing here with this metaphor is he is telling us a very, very simple and clear truth. It's actually, I think, why he chose this metaphor is for all the people like Peter and all the people like Thomas who are going to be like, so what do we do now, <laughs> right? Like, for us, for me and you. The reason he uses it is because he wants us to see just as the nutrients of the vine bring forth fruit from the branches, so too the life-giving work of Jesus will bring forth fruit in the lives of his disciples. Again, we are being pointed to Jesus for the reality of fruit being born in our life. The power of the Christian life, the power for living the Christian life in an antagonistic world is, in fact, Jesus. The power resides with and in Him and is given to us by the Spirit. Not only are we made alive, we are sustained in life. And the Father tends to us all along. It's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ is living through me as I walk through this world. But the reality is, and you don't need a lot of theatrics, I don't need to have some sort of somber moment, but the reality is, is that if Christ's life is not in us, then we are in great danger of being thrown away. Jesus is so very clear here about what it means to be in Christ and the power for life that we have in Him, but then the opposite being true that then you are in danger of being cut off of the vine as no good. You, you have no potential for fruit because you are not connected to the vine of life. But I'll just say that everyone who is a part of the vine was at one time an enemy of God. And while we await the return of Christ, the hope that we have is that He is still willing to hear our plea that he is still willing to accept our faith in him alone, that he is still willing to bring about life in our dead hearts. But if that is not true, then, then you are in danger. So Jesus wants us to see that fruit is not a product of a good, honest life, if there is such a thing. Fruit is a product of being in Christ. And if we are in Christ... His promise is that He is joyfully working in us and through us. So point two is this. Jesus teaches His disciples that the hope of eternal life will bear fruit in their earthly life. Let me say it again. It's kind of a mouthful. And just in case you can't read, Jesus teaches His disciples that the hope of eternal life will bear fruit in their earthly life. So in verses 12 through 17, we see this shift being made in Jesus' teaching here. So the beauty of the gospel 
Well, at least, so the, the gospel really is a multifaceted diamond. Have you ever heard that? Maybe Brad has said that. I'm sure he has. I'm sure maybe you've even read it. One of the facets of the Christian life is the hope of eternity. It's one of the beautiful faces of the diamond. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us it's one of the things that compelled the saints of old, in particular Abraham, right? His faith was counted as righteousness because he lived for a home that was not of this earth. He was living for his earthly dwelling place. That is, everything that he did was with the hope of spending eternity with God. That is one of the beautiful aspects of the diamond of the gospel. But one of the other ones that I think is far less talked about is this. It's Jesus' ongoing work that brings about ongoing change in our lives. That is, the gospel is not a moment in history for the Christian. The gospel is our very means of living every day as we are called to live. And so the fruit of salvation most clearly, and you may not understand it, but it's simply love for the glory of God. Now let me explain that. You have many stories in other gospels in particular, but in John, think about the Samaritan woman. There's so much happening in her life. She has had all of these husbands. She's kind of trying to lie to Jesus, but she's trying to kind of not lie to Jesus. He knows what he's talking about, but she doesn't really know if he knows what he's talking about. And they're just kind of doing this dance. And so she doesn't really understand a whole lot of what's happening other than she's slowly being backed into a corner. You know, I don't think she walked away thinking, man, I'm so glad that I know what the ordo salutis is, that I understand the order of salvation, that I know what justification and sanctification is and glorification and all of these things. But she had an experience, an encounter with Jesus, and one that we can clearly deduce that was of saving nature. And so what she does out of love for God's glory is she goes into the town and she starts yelling at everyone, come meet this man who told me everything I ever did. You may not understand it. I may not understand it at the moment of conversion. But immediately in our hearts, there is fruit being born because of that experience and that encounter with Jesus Christ. Let me give you a quick example. I'm going to share just at the very end, if we have time, a little snippet of my testimony. But suffice it to say, I was saved at the age of nine, and the very first thing I did after I got saved was, well, two things. I tried to get saved again, and then I was assured that you don't need to do that. And so after I was given that assurance, I went to one of my best friends, Dave Harmon, and I told him, you have to come to church with me and get saved. Like, I literally thought the church was a vending machine. I had really experienced something that I wanted other people to experience. And I knew that it was at the church in the PM service with 40, 70-year-olds that you get saved. And so Dave Harmon came with me, and I forced him to get saved. I mean, Dave is standing there, we're singing, it's like the 50th stanza of some hymn, and I'm like, Dave, you got to go now, man. I'm like nine, I'm like, Dave, we got to go, and he's like, Tyler, I'm scared, I can't do it. I'm like, I'll go with you, Dave, and so I walk him up there, and I, I think Dave's a believer, but there was just something in me that loved God's glory more than my own. 
Something had been implanted in my heart that I had to share with other people. It was not of me, but it was the the work of the cross of Jesus Christ in my heart. Something changed. I didn't understand it. I didn't become a scholar. In fact, I tried to get saved twice. But Jesus is our supreme example of of what this means, what this fruit looks like born out in the life of a believer. Chapter 15, verse 10, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verses 12 through 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus' example is really pretty simple. It's sacrificial love. The fruit of the cross being born out in our life is born out primarily in sacrificial love primarily of God and secondarily of those around us. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, I was also obligated to keep the commands of my Father. I was under obligation because of who I am to, in fact, not choose to forego the cross, but to choose to give up my life on a cross. Because not only do I love my Father, I love what my Father loves. And do you know what that is, disciples? It's you. My Father loves you so much that He's going to send me to die for you. That's what's happening in our hearts in the moments of of regeneration. God's love filling our hearts and our hearts beating with life from the love of God. What Jesus is saying is your life will be fruitful when you understand that you should live and think and desire the way that I desire. You should be and strive to be like Christ in all things. In your choices, you should, I mean, really kind of ask the question, WWJD, right? That was an amazing fad when I was growing up. What would Jesus do? Really ask the question and then really do the thing Christ would do. So, why does this happen though? Why, Why is it that this happens in these disciples? What Jesus tells us is that it's because He counts His disciples as friends, no longer as servants who don't know the plans of the Master, but friends. And so again, you have a work of the Trinity here. You have Jesus, the Master of the disciples, sharing everything that the Father has revealed to Him. Now, in this instance, there could be so many things that he's referring to, but really what I think it is, it could be summed up in God's plan of redemption. That is what God has planned to do from eternity past for these disciples, and not only for them, but what he will do through them. 
what he's saying is, you know that thing that happened in Genesis chapter 3? I know, kind of lame, but here we are. Well, you know the one who would crush the head of the serpent by the bruising of his heel? That's me. The one who's going to fix and overturn all of this, that's, that's me. And the good news in all of that is that you, as enemies of God, as sinners against a holy, perfect, righteous God, if you trust in me, your sin will be placed upon me on a cross, and my righteousness will be attributed to you. And so as you live this life, as you bear much fruit in the Christian life, the best news of all is that you are counted justified and righteous in the eyes of God, not because of what you do, not because of how much fruit you actually end up bearing, but because of what I have done on your behalf that you didn't have to do, but that you fully deserved to pay yourself. That's what he's telling them as friends. The reason that's so important as, as we zoom in in particular into this text in John chapter 15 is because he tells them that they are chosen and that they are appointed. Now, again, I say zoom in because he is talking specifically to these disciples who will eventually become apostles. What he's saying is that what I've revealed to you, this truth, this good news of what I'm going to do for sinners like you, you are chosen and appointed to take this into all of the world. You will be the ones who establish my church and gather my people. No longer is Israel the vine that is trying to gather in the nations. It's me. I'm the true vine, and my Father will gather all of the branches and connect them to me. And we're going to do this primarily through the means of the local church. We're going to do this by being friends of Jesus. We're going to do this by being told the secret things of the Lord. But if you are a disciple of Jesus, this is also true for you. This is not just an apostolic commission of these 11, and soon to be 12, and then Paul, of these men. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, our reality in Christ is that all of the good things we will do have been prepared for us. We have been saved for the purpose of bearing much fruit in the world for the glory of God and the exaltation of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Our life really is singular in purpose, and that is to make much of Jesus. But then you have verse 17 here where, where Jesus tells us kind of the whole purpose of what he has just said. He tells them, love one another. And now when he says love one another, again, we're, we're talking directly to these disciples. And so what he is insinuating here is that he is focusing specifically on the disciples' mutual love for one another. That, that they love one another. Now, why would he do that? Why would he not just say, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself? Right? That's a, that seems like an appropriate thing to say in this moment. 
Well, in the big picture, thinking about what does the fruitful Christian life look like, Jesus wants them to know that in order to do this, you will need one another. The world is going to be a hostile place to you, and in my absence, you will need, without a doubt, one another. The world will try to rip you apart. The world will try to cause you to divide from one another. The world will try to cause you to draw away from Jesus, and you will need one another if you are to remain in Christ. You see, friends, we need one another. Not, not just four Sundays a month, while what we're doing here is absolutely necessary and I think commanded by Scripture, this is not enough. We need each other daily, maybe not physically in one another's lives, but we have to do this life together if we want to bear much fruit. Right? Jesus' hope for his disciples that they, is that they are going to lock arms they're going to see him ascend into heaven. And his hope is that as he goes, they will lock arms and say, let's do this thing. That they would continue on together. But I, I don't want us to mistake the difficulty of this. All right, this requires a willingness to lay down our life for our friends to sacrifice personally that we might corporately remain in Christ. Friends, this comes at a great cost to us. It may come at a financial cost. It may come at social clout. It, it may come in all kinds of different ways, but if we are to remain in Christ in the world in which we have been left to live, then we need one another. You know how that feels. You know that pressure. You know the pressure to kind of teeter and think, well, is it really that big of a deal? Sometimes you need a friend who says, yeah, it's that big of a deal. Let's talk why. Oh, friends, we need one another more than we could ever know. You see, there's a vine, singular, and then there are branches, plural. Friends, we are connected to the same thing not as individuals, but as branches of the one true vine. If that says anything, it says, not only do you need me, you need one another. You know, if John's gospel reveals just one thing to us, it's that God is pleased to make old things new that God is pleased to cause the blind to see and the lame to walk. And God is pleased to call forth life from the dead. Friends, if he's done this for you, then you are a branch through which God intends to bear much fruit. And what Jesus says is simple. Ask and you will receive. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word to us. I pray that you would use it in our lives, that you would make us more like Christ and less like ourselves, that you would be pleased to bear much fruit in our lives. Lord, whether it be pruning or through gathering, whatever it may be, we pray that we would make much of you in the world. 
and that Christ would be exalted and that you would be glorified through the lives that you have called us to live. And it's in his name that we pray all of these things. Amen.